dismiss our school-age kids to the back. And while they are headed that direction, let me invite the rest of us in here, if you brought a Bible with you, to open it to uh, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 will be our text today. Uh, we are in the fourth uh, Sunday of Advent, and next Sunday will be Christmas Day, and we will gather here on Christmas Day um, to celebrate the very things that we just talked about, that the Lord has come and that the Lord is coming again. So uh, if you uh, don't have plans or if you do and can alter them, join with us next Sunday. It'll be 30 minutes. You can come in your uh, pajamas if you want to. And um, we will have no child care. There'll be no classes. It'll just be family style, us in this room singing a few Christmas hymns and a devotional thought and us rejoicing at the thought um, that God truly does save. So that is, uh, that's next Sunday. And the night before that will be Christmas Eve. We'll have a Christmas Eve service. I'm sure um, we'll tell you more about that towards the end. I've been reading a uh, devotional uh, by Sinclair Ferguson called uh, Love Came Down at Christmas. And it's, been, it's really stirred my heart. He walks through 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, about Jesus being the ultimate fulfillment of love. And each one of those, it has really stirred my heart. And that's what we're talking about today is love. It's one thing to fall in love. It's another thing altogether to fall in love at Christmas. Isn't this where Hallmark movies have made their mark? It is not just about falling in love. It is about falling in love at Christmas, right? And love is pretty great. Our focus today on the fourth Sunday of Advent, to feel love is pretty incredible. To love a friend, to be loved by others, loved by our parents and our siblings, brotherly love, friendship love, erotic love, romantic love. I saw a jewelry commercial the other day that said, show someone they're loved this Christmas. I evidently wasn't their target audience. Ashley feels more loved when I vacuum the house than when I give her jewelry. Um, but you get the point. Christmas has a bit of magic, it seems, because Christmas really is all about love. Wars have been stopped on Christmas because of love. Families get back together and <clears throat> try to love each other. Extended families on Christmas. Some famous person this year will be asked what they want for Christmas, and they'll say, I just want love. A hundred million songs were written on love, half of them by Taylor Swift after a breakup. 80,000 books on the topic of love. We love to talk about love and to think about it and to dream about it. It's where these Hallmark movies have got their uh, strength at Christmas time. My DVR is full of Hallmark movies with these creative names. I read something this week about and uh, artificial intelligence and AI uh, was tasked with creating a two-page script of its own Hallmark movie. I'll read it for you real quickly. Introduction, small town snow globe refillery. Again, this is a computer writing this. We see a single mother refilling snow globes with Christmas juice. She is a widow. Her husband died in every war. <clears throat> single mother says, I refill these globes better than Jesus' claws. Yet because my twins 
are dad free. Why? They need a double dad. Businessman enters the shop. He wears clothes that cost money. His hands are briefcases and he is Hallmark hot. Single mother continues, hi, do your snow globes lack Christmas juice? Hurry, Christmas is attack soon. Businessman has flashback to when he was a business boy. A Christmas tree exploded on his family on purpose. He now hates trees and Christmas and explosions. Anyway, the perfect Hallmark uh, movie written by... Uh, <laughs> computer. I love this idea because this idea of love and love at Christmas, and it speaks to something inside of us that makes it so popular. Like we watch these cheesy movies with this false definition of what real love even is. And it is but a shadow of the greater love that we talk about really at Christmas. Everyone seems to agree that Christmas is about love. And as Christians, we can attest that that much is true. Christmas exists only because of love. But what is love exactly? Can we answer that? 1 Corinthians 13, the famous passage on love. Our students have been uh, learning this on Wednesday nights. The Apostle Paul uses 200 words in answering that question, that love is patient and kind It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. And so the description continues. But if you want to describe what love is, you could also do it in one word. Emmanuel. He shows us what love is. Love is simply being like him. December is a frantic mo uh, month for most of us. But amid all the busyness, the message of Christmas brings us back to first things, to first principles. It shows us what love is. And the first principle is simply that, that Jesus came because he loved us. The creator becomes part of the creation. The Lord of glory comes to this fallen earth all because he loved us. As a matter of fact, Jesus would give everything he had. Because, friends, you are loved. This passage, if you'll read it with me in 1 John chapter 4, I taught on this several months ago as we were going through this, these epistles of John. Just briefly, let's start in verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is the love of God was made manifest among us. That's Christmas made manifest. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, 
then God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Pray with me, please. Father, I pray that your word, living and active, would do a work on our hearts and our minds. Lord, that you would expose lies from truth, that you would expose uh, fanciful myth with the true meaning of Christmas today. And Lord, that you would just remind us that you love us. It's in your mighty name that we pray, amen. This is not necessarily a Christmas classic scripture, but it might be the most beautiful. As John sums up the teaching of Jesus and the meaning of life in one word, love. This one word, love, answers more questions than we can ask of it. What makes a church great? What does the devil hate? What do you look for in a mate? What do you hope for on a date? What does a child await? What drives people to procreate? What is impossible to overrate? Paul would say, and now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Bernard of Clairvoy said, love is the fountain of life and the soul which does not drink from it cannot be called alive. Love is hard to describe but easy to recognize. It's because love is best seen and understood in action or love at work. I can tell my wife I love her all the time, but if I do not serve her and care for her and give her my attention and affection, will my words alone just be enough? I doubt it. That's why our text today starts with this idea in verse 7 <clears throat> that God himself is love. Because it says, the end of verse 8, God is love. This is one of the only times where God is identified with one of his attributes. It doesn't say that God is loving, but that God is love. Don't overread that. He's not saying that, the, that he's the emotion of love or that love is God's only attribute. What it does tell us is that at the core to God's being in himself, in the Trinity, is the source and definition of, of all love. And that's John's big idea in this passage. Self-giving, self-sacrificial love. And if that's not growing in us, then God is not in us. God is love. In verse 9, this is the Christmas part of the passage. <clears throat> In this, the love of God was made manifest or was described or was put on display for us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. John goes on describing God's love. God's love was not just a feeling. It translated into action and an action that actually saved us. 
God did the unthinkable. The creator God, after having been rejected by his creation and one who could have destroyed us and started all over again, chose out of his compassion and his source of love to take on the penalty of our sin and suffer in our place. The scandal of it is, is just unimaginable. A king dying for unrepentant traitors, a creator for his creation, a betrayed lover offering himself as a sacrifice for the betrayer. Would any of us have done that? He wasn't obligated to do it. He didn't need to do it, but he wanted to do it. He didn't need us, but he wanted us. So this defining characteristic of God is love. And the defining quality of God's love is the grace that he showed us. And we could talk about God's other attributes of his wrath and his holiness and his justness. And all of those are tied without separation to this idea that he loves us because his jealous love is so strong to us. That's why he has wrath. God is love. And love is not just something spoken about. Look at this in the passage. Please don't miss this. Love closes the distance. You want to know what love is really like? Then read the Christmas story. Love closes the distance. Love moves towards the object in which it loves. That's why he says in verse 8, anyone who doesn't love God doesn't know God. Anyone who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. God is so loving that he didn't leave us in our condition. Love moves towards the object that it loves. And this is the love of God as it was made manifest among us that God sent his only son to the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's pretty cool that someone would travel across <clears throat> <clears throat> the country to be with you at Christmas. But if all that person did was show up, is that loving? <clears throat> Jesus didn't just show up. He showed up and was made manifest. But he didn't come just so we would feel comforted. He came to take care of our greatest problem, our greatest needs. Some of you might know that we have a doctor in the family. Ashley's brother is a physician. And it's cool to have a doc in the family. But oftentimes when I'm sick, I don't need a word of encouragement from the doctor. I don't need a present for Christmas from the doctor. I need him to call in the medicine that's going to fix my problems. And this is the length that Jesus went for us. Christmas is Jesus showing up. Easter is Jesus taking on our greatest need. And when he wouldn't just call something in, he gave himself as a remedy for our sin. That's what this idea of propitiation means in our text. I know it sounds like a big word, but I think we understand it. Propitiation is the idea of sacrifice that turns away wrath. God rightly regarded him, regarded us apart from him, as worthy targets of his judgment. We were rebels and enemies with God, even if we didn't know it. But on the cross, Jesus took the punishment our sin deserved. His sacrifice turned away the judgment that we would have received. 
We easily think how this shows the love of Jesus, but John wants us to understand that it also shows the love of God the Father. He loved us and sent his son to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. This shows the love of God. It shows the love of the Father that he sent the Son, not some lower-grade angel. He sent the Son, not on some fact-finding mission or merely a mission of compassion. He sent the Son to die for you, for me. If God had merely sent Jesus to teach us about himself, that would have been wonderful. It would have been far more than we deserved. If God had sent Jesus simply to be our example, that would have been good too, and that would have had some value. But the wonderful thing about Christmas is that God did not stop with these, but rather he sent his son not merely to teach us or to be our example or to provide compassion, but he sent him to die the death of a felon that he might save us. So that we might live through him, the text says. That God sent his only son into the world in verse 9 so that we might live through him. His heart is not just that we would receive his love or to walk in his love. But his love, as the gospel of John says, would be a fountain inside of us. His heart is that we may develop this very attribute in our own lives. This is what Jesus said, the, define, the defining characteristic of a real follower of Jesus is people who are lost would look at you and say, that must be one of the followers of Jesus. Look at the way that they love. Not that the way that they worship or not even the way that they preach or the way that they give or the way they build buildings or the way they take care of the poor or the way they send out missionaries. Look at the way that they love. Church, you know, why the, you know why the church in America is dying? Because we've forgotten this. We've made everything about everything else, and we've forgotten this primary first thing. I talked to a friend this week and said, man, I'm so discouraged that the church is dying everywhere. It's not dying everywhere, friends. The church is growing faster than it's ever grown in China, in Afghanistan, in Iran, I mean, I read a statistic this week, by 2045, there'll be more Christians in China than in the rest of the world. That's mind-blowing. The church is absolutely growing. It's just not growing here. Attendance might be growing, but real disciples of Jesus who love with a self-sacrificing love, it seems like we've never, that's so foreign to us. I just don't even know who lives like that. Verse 12 says that God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What does it look like, friends? And I want you to think of this. What does it look like in your life for the love of God to be perfected? That there's no person you don't love that there's no enemy that you wouldn't bless, that there's no injury that you wouldn't forgive. Who you are becoming matters to God. Not just the prayer you prayed a long time ago, who you right now are becoming, that matters to God. 
if he abides in us, his love is perfected in us. Are you a person that's growing in love? One of the challenges of our faith in the modern world is that our journey has no real markers along the way. It's hard to know if we're really making progress. When we're younger, we know we're making progress because every indicator in our life tells that to us. We grow physically, we get taller and stronger and hairier. We fill out a little bit. We grow in our school through grades and development and report cards. We grow in college as we pick a major and get really broke. And maybe we have an internship and we graduate. We grow in our careers through entry-level jobs and then we grow and then maybe management, maybe a partner, more responsibility. We grow in life through marriage and kids and family and second home. But when it comes to our faith, how do you know if you're really growing? Once you become an adult, there's almost nothing to tell us if we're actually making progress along the way. Much of what the modern church, certainly in the West, rewards is participation, not transformation. Is spiritual growth defined on how, how much we give or how much we volunteer or how many groups we attend or Sundays we show up or nonprofits we support? How much time we spend with the poor? As many of us have learned, busyness and activity inside the church is not necessarily an indicator of spiritual growth and maturity inside our hearts. Although it's helpful, participation is not the same thing as progress. It's possible to do the right thing with the wrong motive. What did Paul say? If you speak with tongues of angels but have not love, then it's worthless. I don't know what tongues of angels is. I think it would be pretty amazing to hear it. We talk about angels a lot at Christmas time. The angel shows up to Mary. The angel shows up to Zechariah. The angel <clears throat> shows up to Joseph in a dream. The angels, a whole host of them show up to the shepherds. And they came not speaking angel, but speaking Aramaic. Something about that Corinthian church they had some real gifts there, I guess, because Paul says, listen, you don't impress me with your angel talk. If you don't have love, you have nothing. How can a, measure, a man measure his progress in the life of faith? And the answer, you guessed it, is growth in love. Bernard of Clairvoy, we had a quote of him a while back, was a man who lived in... <clears throat> The earliest part of the last century, the last millennia, he was a passionate and disciplined man who took growth and love as the most serious duty of a believer. He taught that the human heart matures through four stages of love. And I'm going to tell you about him real quick. <clears throat> I think some of them you'll identify with. <clears throat> the first is the Love of self for self's sake. This is selfish love. We understand this. Anyone who has a toddler understands this, has a kid understands this, you understand this. At this stage, all we do is for our own benefit. Our life is defined by loving ourselves the most. Our thoughts and actions and desires are centered around ourselves. 
One theologian speaks of the four marks of, this, of the self at this stage. Self-concern, that's pride. Self-image, that can be pride and anger and envy. Self-gratification, that's lust and gluttony. I just want all the things. I want to consume all the things. Self-preservation, that's greed and maybe slothfulness. Augustine called this preoccupation with self incurratus. Love turned in on itself. The more I make my life, my well-being, my entitled enlightenment, my success primary, the further I step from reality that God did not create me to love myself for myself's sake. He created us as self-giving and self-donating lovers. That the very love of God inside of us would pour out from us onto everything around us. Those that don't know Jesus don't travel downward, they travel inward. Isolating themselves behind their own vanity, their personal rights, their religiosity, their defensiveness. Paul warned that in the end times would be terrible because people would be what? Lovers of themselves. This is the love of self. It's the lowest form of love. The second stage is love of God for the self's sake. This is maybe awakened love or divine love. In this stage of love, we're awakened to God and his goodness towards us. We're aware of the joy of salvation, the mercy and grace. Our life begins to have meaning. We find great purpose and in in depth in the, in the story of God that we're now a part of. Our sins are forgiven. The weight of our guilt is gone. Our shame is removed. Our faces become joyful and radiant. Our longings are rerouted from the self up to God. God's promises are good and rich and satisfying and kind. But much of the love in this stage is loving God's action not his person. We love him for what he does for us more than just who he is. When my kids were little, I used to go on these trips to serve these church planters. And you, you've probably done this before if you've been on some kind of trip and you come home and I had this habit of stopping at the airport or at the Dollar General in my own city sometimes. Forgive me, that's the secret, sorry girls. And buying them some candy or some, Ellie loved every stuffed animal, just whatever we could get. That's what I would do. And I would come in the house and the kids cared nothing about me. They wanted to know what I brought with me. You remember that stage? Maybe in your own life or your kid's life. Dad, what'd you get us? What'd you get us? What'd you get us? You can see this attitude towards God. Lord, what you going to give me? What you going to give me? What you got for me? You see it reflected in our worship and in our preaching. Psalm 145 we sang earlier is not the normal song that is sung. It, now, it is a song of the Psalms because it's not about us. It's about extolling him. My God and my salvation and my deliverer and my defender. We always talk about how God gives us things. He's the one who strengthens me for my purpose. He answers my prayers and meets my needs and cares for my family. He provides for me. He comforts my heart and he heals my pain. 
This praise for God is rooted in the gifts of God, and it is a good thing. Psalms 118.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. This is not a confession of being good to the Lord, but of the Lord being good to us. It is the love of God for our benefit. And there's nothing wrong with this kind of love. It is love indeed. It's just an immature form of love. A young couple gets married. And most of the time in that young puppy love can't keep their hands off each other in public. They love each other for the way the other makes them feel. They love each other for what the other brings to the table. They love the other because the other is attractive. They love the other because the the other is so gifted and talented and lovely. And that's a good form of love. And that should be celebrated because it means getting the eyes off the self and to the heavens. It's nothing less than supernatural. And some of you, I pray, take that step this morning. The eyes off the self and to the supernatural. The psalmist says of the Lord that he's the lifter of my head. I love that. When we get all focused on all of our things and all of our problems, and then we come to the Lord and we're so weary and weak and beat down, and he slowly just lifts the head. To see him. But it's also a love that should continue to develop. The third stage, and many of us might not ever make it there, I I pray we do, is the love of God for God's sake. This is agape love. This is seeking the face of God, not just the hand of God. This is a hunger for God. This is the release of the Abba cry inside of our hearts, the desire to know the Father who loves and chose us. It's being caught up in his glory, not just his gifts. This is the psalmist cry in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Do you see it? It's not about the gifts or what he brings. It's about him. My soul longs for you. When's the last time we had that posture in our own hearts that we woke up in the morning with this Abba cry to the Father, Father, would you be with me? In his glory, his beauty, his power, his kindness, his, his mercy, his love and favor, his, it's losing ourselves in him, Christ our great king. You ever had a moment like that? I just love him. Think about that married couple now 50 years into their marriage. She has Alzheimer's. I went to a memory care facility in Dallas a couple weeks ago to help a friend move his mother-in-law in there. Drop off some furniture. And I was struck 
by the amazing love of the spouses in there whose love of their life didn't recognize them, was not in their right mind, and yet their spouse just loved and served them, not for what they're bringing to the relationship. All they're bringing to the relationship at this point is debt and confusion and pain, and yet they love them all the more. You see the subtle shift of loving ourselves for ourselves of loving God for what he gives us, and then this third stage of loving God for who he is. This is real growth in love when we love God, not for what he gives, but for who he is. This stage allows us to suffer without being angry at him because we deserve nothing, and yet he gave us salvation, and he gives us comfort and peace. It's not being in this stage when we shake our fist at him and say, God, I've done all these things for you. How can you not give me the best? It's an immature form of love. The fourth stage is love of self and others for God's sake. This is Jesus' love. Maybe we would say Christmas love. This is the stage of union with God, true godliness, being lost in his love where we're so caught up in him and we experience a sense of of self while sensing Christ being in all and all in all. This is the soul's deepest union with God. This is the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. We talked about it in, in Philippians a couple weeks ago. This is the confidence in knowing that we are the beloved. He is the source of love and the goal of our heart This is the consecrated man caught up in a vision of something so far beyond himself in this mystery, in this wonder. This is the stuff of life. First John 4. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us because he's love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Knowing the love of God, relying on the love of God, living in the love of God, God living in us, which produces a love that pours out onto those around us, those far from God. This is how we bless those that persecute us. This is how we sacrifice in order to love others. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and showed them such great love and servanthood to them, we might have expected him to conclude by gesturing to his own feet and say, now that I've shown you, now you wash my feet. But instead, he said, if I then am your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, what does he say? You ought to wash one another's feet. This is when the love of God, when we find ourselves so wrapped up in the identity in God that we don't have to prove anything to anyone. We don't have to be accepted by anyone. We can love in the most radical way, the most difficult people. You know the reason that you have problems loving other people? Because you have not really experienced the love of God in that, to that degree in your own life. This is what Paul tells Timothy. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love 
and of a sound mind. The way to think rightly. Think about that, the love. Timothy served some of the most needy people. He served the most the most difficult people in that culture. They were coming after him. And yet Paul says, it's fine, Timothy. The love of God in you is big enough for you to love them. This is the love of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. It says he could have called down 10,000 angels. And the angels would have saved him, but not us. But he stood there for us. This kind of love will lead to practical action. That's what Spurgeon says. Has anyone offended you? Then seek reconciliation. Oh, but I'm, I'm the one who, of the offended party. Spurgeon says, so was God. And he went straight away and saw reconciliation. Brother and sister, you do the same. Oh, but I've been insulted. Spurgeon says, just so, so was God. All the wrong that had ever been done was towards him. And yet he still came. Oh, but the, the other party is so unworthy. Spurgeon says, so are you. But God loves you and he sent his son. Go accordingly and make that the story of your life. Friends, what does it look like for you to make progress in the way of love this Christmas? Are you growing in love? Growing from a selfish orientation to a loving orientation? Moving from loving God for what he does to who he is? Union with him, living in love. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays that that young church would experience this kind of love. I want to read it to you. The band can go ahead and come up. We're almost done. Ephesians chapter 3, I think I have it on the screen. That according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Friends, loving like that requires you to experience the love of God down deep in your heart. Can I encourage you with a couple things and then we'll respond? Don't settle for life hacks or shortcuts or apathy. Don't settle by avoiding people. By filling your life with all the things that just make you numb to the ache inside your soul to be a minister of reconciliation, to be an extension of the love of God in your neighborhood. You ever thought about that? Most of your neighborhood's lost and God sent a missionary and that missionary is you. And maybe your right door neighbor and left door neighbor right or across the street neighbor, they're lost and God sent a missionary. His love was so great towards them, he sent a missionary and that missionary is you. 
that you would love them so well that the little stirring inside their heart that they've tried to numb for years and years and years and years, it's almost so faint they can't hear it. But when they see you sacrificially loving them, loving your family, loving others so well that that little flicker of a thing inside their soul that was put there, Romans says, when they were created in the image of God. And the enemy has done so much to distort that, that little thing that they can't even, they don't even know it. And they're doing, they're living for themselves. And God sent you as a missionary and put him right next door to them so that they could be reminded again of the love of God for them. Friends, hold your heart before him. Ask for the fire of divine love. You know how you really grow in this today? You just ask God for it. I've been studying this passage for a couple weeks and every morning I've been getting up reading my Advent devotion about love. Love came down at Christmas and I've been sitting there and I would just say, God, I, I don't love like this. W would you help me love like this? And it's hard to put into words, but it seems like the thing that the, that the shepherd saw that night of, the, of, of all the angels, the multitude of angels, that multitude of angels shows up in my living room. And the warmth of God's love around my heart to know that I am loved and that I am put here to love others. It is just overflowing. You know how you grow in this? You just grow in it by asking God. By taking a step of faith. He knows. He knows the struggle. He, he knows the weird people in your extended family and how hard it is going to be love uncle whatever this Christmas or your coworker, or your boss, or your neighbor. He knows. And you just tell him, God, I'm just, having a, I'm just having a hard time loving Frank. I'm just having a hard time loving him. He knows. He'll tell you, let me love Frank through you. Let me love Frank through you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Seek him, and you'll find him, Scripture says. Three ways to respond today. We're going to sing a song of worship in just a minute. Today's our big Christmas offering day. One of the ways that we are going to extend the love of God to people that we've never met and we might not ever meet this side of heaven is through the generosity of our finances. And some of you have had a hard year, and I don't want you to give anything out of guilt or compulsion. I just want you to ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me give? Some of you have been thinking and working towards that. And remember, it's not about the amount. It's just about your heart. So, you, so you, you, you're unemployed and you've got just little of nothing. And you say, you know what, I'm gonna, I got a dollar in my pocket. I'm going to give this to the Lord and see what the Lord does. He cares about your heart, friend. He is not impressed with your checks. He owns everything. One of our steps of response today, worship response, is the offering. You see the baskets here and in the back and... During our worship song, we're not having communion today. You just come and drop your little thing in the offering. And if you didn't bring it today, but you're going to give it online, just write that on an envelope so we'll know, our counters will know to be expecting that. So we can get ready to send our mission partners their checks before the end of the year. Maybe you've already given online. That's completely fine. We'll put up the little screen in a little bit to have the little QR code that you can scan if you want to give online. That's fine. The other way is through prayer. Maybe some of you have some real hang-ups. 
You've got some difficult people in your life that are hard to love. We're going to have the prayer team standing in the back. And maybe you just need to put your arms around them and say, hey, would you pray that I'd be able to love Uncle Frank well at Christmas this year? Maybe it is that simple. Maybe it's much deeper than that. Maybe the voice of the enemy is so loud in your ears right now, you can't love yourself. The mistakes you made in the past, you just can't love yourself. And you need the love of God to get rid of that voice of shame and guilt in your mind. Maybe you need to grab one of our prayer partners and say, would you just pray with me that I'd be able to love me like God loves me? Friends, prayer moves things. We would love to pray with you. I would love it if everybody in here would just write on their card what they're praying for. You put that in the basket too with the offering when you come up and just as, as just a way of bringing it to the feet of Jesus, that this is my prayer. We'll gather as a staff tomorrow and we'll join you in praying with those things. And then third way to respond is through obedience. Some of you don't, don't need to pray much more about it. You know what God's asking you to do. As you pray, God might clearly reveal your next step. Maybe it's someone you're withholding love from, someone you need to write a note to, someone you need to go call before the service is over and just apologize. Maybe you need to show up on their doorstep. Yes, they did the offending, but you're doing the reconciling. Maybe you just write that down on your little card you got back there. Sometimes it just helps us to write it down. This is my next step. Let me pray for us. You do what the Lord's laid in your heart. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, how you are working in us that we would understand the depth and height and width of your love, that we would be filled with the very fullness of your love in us so that we, like Jesus, could be pushed and pulled and falsely accused and we could suffer and we could, at the height of our suffering, hanging on a cross, we could be extending love to other people. Lord, I don't love like that most times. I pray that you would grow that kind of love in me. And this Christmas would just be all the difference as I learned to love like you love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You just do what the Lord lays on your heart. The prayer team's in the back. If you need to pray with someone, please go pray with them. We'll sing a song of worship in just a moment.